Hey guys, welcome to the Masters of Modern podcast on the MMCast Network. We are a Magic the Gathering show talking about the modern format and each of the most awesome adjacent formats in Magic. We're brought to you today by the House of Modern, our unbelievable Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the MMCast. Please comment, leave your thoughts below, hit that notification bell, and subscribe if you want to keep getting updated on what we're doing here. And of course, follow along on social media with any of the relevant accounts. The information is in the description below. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you on the episode. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up? Now What's up, can, everybody? Now I can Bateman see guns. where all the pointing is going on the Discord thing that's recording, because we are in the midst of uh, quarantine. Um, I am on... apocalypse, where it, things are, it, the, the things have hit the fan. We've thrown magic cards into the fan, chopped them up, they're in the air. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's kind of insane, and we're going through a weird period. We're doing the best we can, so uh, we're now doing these kind of cool uh, audio recording through Discord... OBS is over there, got the mic here, etc. Um, Ben's in his apartment, I'm in my apartment, I have an owl right there, dope, hanging out dope, with dope. Admiral Akbar. gonna poke his eye, it's probably squiddy, which is weird, uh, and uh, so yeah, but the podcast is continuing, we're still doing hot takes, we're still doing the episodes every week, um, this last week we uh, had... Uh, Mike Lawton on, uh, and we did, last week we did kind of a breakdown on, like, great ways to teach, uh, new players how to play Magic, and, uh, this week we even had a hot take on green, black, pot, or white, black pox, um, which was really dope, so definitely check that out, um, but, uh, that was cool that. yeah, cool that. uh, make sure you follow us, I'm at Kess Wiley on Twitter everywhere, and Kesco on Twitch. You guys can find me at Ben Baby Media on, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and, uh, actually coming up. This week, I, I got last week all of the technology locked in to do my first Moto stream, including my account on Mana Traders. I got the whole thing. I, I played a bunch of games with Magus of the Vineyard. It was sweet. And so now uh, you guys can follow me at Ben Bateman Streaming on Twitch. Uh, I tend to be streaming at least one time a week playing Moto for now. Um, and probably drafts. I did like the Vintage Cube. But I haven't done my first Magic stream yet, but I got it all figured out. So go check that out. And then make sure to just hit that like button and comment what uh, your favorite Planeswalker is. Um, but before we get into the subject matter, which is the ranking of all modern Planeswalkers that are now legal with Oko gone, a uh, big shout out to the Noble House of Modern. Thank you, Andrew Kelso, for being a member. Uh, that is our people at a specific tier. There'll be a breakdown at the end of the episode on how that works. But once again, Andrew Kelso, you're the best. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much for being noble in the house. And today we are breaking down the top 20 planeswalkers in Commander. He uh, means to say we are breaking down the top 20 planeswalkers in Modern. Oh, in Modern, yeah. The Commander ones <laughs> will be legal. Um, we, we, it was, this was an exhaustive, because the crazy thing is, guys, that when we started the show back in 2015, there was like half the number of planeswalkers out. Not, there was less than half. There was probably like 28 planeswalkers. There's like well over 100 Planeswalkers now, and most of them are modern legal. So it feels like the landscape since the last time we had this conversation completely changed. A few years ago, I think we did a ranking similar to this, but it was every Planeswalker. Now there are so many Planeswalkers, and, and crazily enough, Alex, I think more than half the ones on our list have been printed since then. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Possibly since then, for sure, eight of them were printed since uh, Dominaria. Wild, it's wild. <laughs> so in, totally in, in the last two now. years, they've finally kind of they've they've kind of finally defined magic 
I think in the way that Wizards maybe intended they might at some point when they first introduced the, the concept in 2007. I think there was an idea that this is a really cool new piece of tech for the game to have. This is going to be a really interesting wrinkle. But it took a while before we really had a density high enough that they could really test out power levels to push them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we were going to see, obviously, that stuff that in 2013, 14, 15 was considered extremely powerful, it's not the same thing anymore. Power levels have changed drastically. Absolutely. And and before we get into counting down this top 20 uh, modern Planeswalkers, we are going to quickly shout out all of the ones that either I or Ben or Michael thought maybe deserves a spot uh, and then, but didn't get enough points to hit the list. Uh, those are in order of point ranking, and some of them are just tied for zero. Jace Bellerin, Garrick Wildspeaker, Kiora Behemoth, Vivian Champion of the Wilds, the Royal Scions, Chandra Acolyte of Flame, Domri Anarchobolus, Koth of the Hammer, Karn, Scion of Urza, and Sahili Sublime Artificer, and last but not least... Uh, well, at least because it's the 21st in the top 20, uh, Elsbeth Knight Errant. And now, after me breaking down all of those sad Elsbeth didn't make it, our number 20 made it onto the list. Gideon of the Trials. This is the Gideon from Amonkhet Block. Gideon of the Trials is, is like the three mana Gideon. It's white, white one. You can make an emblem that as long as you control Gideon Planeswalker, you can't lose the game. Um, it becomes a 4-4 as well. And it has like a third ability that I... prevents all damage dealt by uh, a creature and damage dealt to that creature. That's right. And this card's sweet. This is a card I've built with before. I built a whole deck around this with like Delver and Pact of the Titan and stuff. I think this card's really cool. I think that I wanted this card to be better than it was. This was a card that was responsible for the Gideon Tribal. It never quite broke through, but this does actually see play. There are modern decks that take advantage of the Angel's Grace ability on this card. And as they should, it's a it's a very very cool ability. And it's unique that it's on a planeswalker. So I'm a, I'm a fan of Gideon Trials. And any card that has ever printed you can't lose the game has seen play. I think because I mean if you look at the Angel that I'm forgetting, the Platinum Angel, and then yeah, also right. Angel's Grace. Obviously, both of those cards have seen some significant to d- some amount of modern play. And Gideon Trials is on that list. In fact, its interaction with packs is obviously probably its most significant. The fact that you can. Pact of Navigation, so you basically have Force of Will, or the fact that you have the ability to make uh, four four hasting uh, for free red giant tokens is all like very powerful and just can I do a lot of things. They, they do not have haste. Oh, they don't have haste. Uh, well, but you could—they're instants, right? They're instants. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. You know, because I because I have now gotten the Mana Traders account and I'm going to be streaming on Moto. Maybe I'll put my packed Delver deck back together that I had talked about a couple years back. I actually built it and bought all the cards for it and like played it a bunch. It was really fun. It wasn't that good. But, like, you could do really wild stuff in that deck. Like, if I remember correctly, like, you could, like, Pact, Snapcaster Pact, and then during upkeep when you were going to lose, like, Angel's Grace, and you could do the, all of this, like, pretty early in the game. It definitely was fun. It was a cool idea for a deck. So maybe I'll fill it again. But that, that deck played at least two Gideons. Yeah, and, and this was another feature in the deck we, the deck tech we did last week with uh, Mike Lawton. So if you go check that out, there's a deck list right there posted in the episode, uh, breaking down a different a way to use it. Oh, I forgot the rank thing. So Gideon the Trials, uh, Ben gave it a zero. Uh, I gave it a uh, two. Uh, sorry, this is two points. So it's two out of 20. Um, and then uh, Michael gave it a five. So he gave it a five out of 20. So that's what got Gideon into this. Briefly explain how the points are now that we did that. The way we did this is me, Ben, and Mike all blindly, we couldn't see what the other one did, ranked 
all of the planeswalkers we thought that deserved to be on the list. And we ranked it uh, 1 to 20, and then we assigned points. If you were uh, our number one pick, you got 20 points. If you were our number, uh, you know, our number 20 pick, you got one point. And so, and, and spreading that out through in between. So 19 got, or number two got 19 points. Number three got 18 points all the way down. We then ranked all those. Then I added those together. And then that gave us our list. That's how it came out. It's it's totally blind. None of us know this. will be some some wonky things. Um, there's a few that like one of us just gave it a ten, but the other two gave it zeros. But because one of us gave it a high number, it's on the list. Uh, there's uh, our number. When we get into the top four, it's going to be really interesting. We'll talk about it then. But every one, I'll read what we each gave it as our point score, um, just for fun. Um, so our next number number uh, nineteen, we got a Johnny Vengeant. Um, yes. this is the four, four mana Johnny. It's plus is to, uh, tap down or target permanent doesn't untap, uh, during the net, their opponent's next untap step. Um, it's minus is, uh, lightning helix. It does three damage and gains you three life. Uh, and then it's ultimate is destroy all of your opponent's lands. Um, yeah. this has seen pretty significant play in modern. I mean, it's, it's probably the most famous run was, uh, after Bloodbraid Elf was banned, uh, the, as the four drop in Jun decks, because because of Deathrite Shaman, they were able to just splash any color they wanted, and Ajani was just like one of the most powerful options there. Um, but I've seen pretty decent play out of just Jeskai decks throughout the history of the format. Yeah, I also saw play uh, some of the red white prison decks for me. Um, it's still those decks are still somewhat popular. They're like the Simeon Spirit Guide into Chalice with Blood Moon. Um, you're playing Chalices and Blood Moons, and then you have like a Finisher at four. And sometimes they play Cost, sometimes they play this, but this is definitely like because of the way that it taps down lands, you're restricting everything they're doing. Um, this is fits nicely into that strategy as like a two of or a three of. I've always liked this card. I've always been a fan. It's one of the coolest looking cards. It has a super cool promo. It's this card is it's like a way sweeter card that it's good. That makes any sense at this point. It's just like a card that I like a lot, but it doesn't feel nearly as powerful as it used to feel. And so to, to kind of break down how it got here, uh, Ben gave it a three pointer. Uh, I gave it five points and Michael gave it zero points. Um, Michael's just not here to defend himself. We need to get him a microphone. Number next, next on the list. This is number 18 and our first planeswalker from the last, uh, from 2019. It is Ugin the Ineffable. This is six mana Ugin. Uh, the static ability is colorless, uh, spells you cost, uh, you cast costs two less to cast. It's plus one is exile the top card of your library face down and look at it. Create a 2-2 color spirit creature token. When that token leaves the battlefield, put the exiled card into your hand. Uh, it has minus three destroy target permanent. That's one or more colors. Uh, comes in a four loyalty. Um, I love this card. I think it's, it's definitely obviously on, the, of the War of the Spark cards, the one that I think is taking the longest of them that's very powerful to be adopted wildly. But the fact that it is a card draw engine in any color that needs it, especially obviously ramp decks, uh, while making threats, while ramping you at the same time, and as an answer to anything you can out of the sun. It's of the, like, two ability planeswalkers to me, the one that really has, like, four abilities attached to it. I think it's just, like, very powerful. Yeah, I don't know this card super well. I know that it means Mirror Superior is free when you have it in play, <laughs> which is the biggest reason I've ever paid attention to it. Um, it's good. It's a cool card. It does cost six. I don't have that much to say about it, but it is just, like, another... It's, like, funny, it's... In most sets, it would be the best planeswalker. It's like the ninth best planeswalker in War of the Spark. Um, and, and I will say it is only three mana when those three lands that you have are Tron. Yes. <laughs> this, this is uh, um, 
So to give the score on that, you gave it a zero. Michael gave it a zero. I gave it a ten. So if my heart felt right, offensive, I lost you for a second. You said Michael gave it a what? You gave it a what? Uh, zero, zero, and ten. You gave it a ten. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so, not a, not a one out of ten, right? I, it was my it was my eleventh best planeswalker. Got it. Got it. Got yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you guys uh, had it somewhere much lower. Uh, the next now, next up, we've got number seventeen. This one is Nissa, who shakes the world. Yet another. Or the Spark Planeswalker. Mr. Shakes World is three green green for a five. Whenever you tap a forest for mana, add an additional green. Put three, it's plus one, put three, plus one, plus one counters on up to one target non-creature land you control. Uh, untap it. It becomes a zero, zero elemental creature with vigilance and haste that is still a land. Uh, you can minus eight. You get an emblem with lands you control have indestructible. Search your library for any number of forest cards and put them onto the battlefield tap. Then shuffle your library. Uh, five loyalty. This is um, historically a, a very powerful pioneer card, right? Like it, it and standard, of course. So in standard and pioneer, it's been one of the top tier planeswalkers, probably as far as a standard cards go of all time. Now looking at modern, it's definitely a newer addition to the format. Now it does see uh, some play uh, out of just different ramp decks and different mono green decks, but it is something that's a little bit newer. Where I would rank Ugin as a better Planeswalker, I think this probably has more potential in Modern, and has less that it competes with, right? There's a lot of powerful, colorless Planeswalkers, so so you don't, eventually, you have too many in Tron. It's not as much true for five mana green Planeswalkers for ramps that, like, there's not a lot of good all of your lands tap or double cards in Modern. Yeah. I think, like, the, I think that this card is is most powerful for exactly the reason you just mentioned it's it's a unique sort of mana flare effect that you know it's green and it's five which means you can ramp really easily into this card right like green decks are pretty classically five man on turn three there's lots and lots of ways that they've been able to do that so the idea of getting this card down on your third turn and then obviously going completely ham on your fourth turn is very good um, I had this in the pre-release, if I remember correctly. I think I played two pre-releases, and I'm pretty sure I opened this in one of them, and it was like pretty gangbusters for what I was doing. I was pretty impressed with the power level. Um, then also, you know, like turning lands into creatures with vigilance. Like if, if, if a land is a creature that also has vigilance, it feels like you're just cheating. Yeah, it makes threats. It blocks. It ramps. It does a lot of really powerful things. Um, it is five mana, uh, but I think if it was any cheaper than that, it'd be problematic. The 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 mana flare ability or the the um, is is definitely a big deal. And then the fact that on top of that it's a threat is one of the reasons it's just been dominating every format uh that is earlier than modern and and, and is even making a splash there. Um why don't you tell us uh, what kind of points it got? You got you gave it zero. Uh I gave it three. This is probably Michael's swingiest choice. Michael gave it a seven. Oh. I don't okay. I don't think any of yeah, so this is this is the closest to the card that Michael chose that deserved to be on the list. <laughs> um, uh all right. Now, speaking of a card someone chose, and these are the three that did this, everything else we all kind of gave them pretty good scores collectively. Ben Bateman gave uh this next card an eleven. Uh so that made it was his uh top it was in his top ten best planeswalkers of all time. Uh me and Michael both gave it a zero, and that card is <laughs> uh Tezzeret Agent of Bullis. I mean, the uh, card is just too sweet to not give a good score to. I feel like you guys are crazy for not giving this a good score. Hey, I mean, this I, card is legendary. I have taken this card to at least at least <laughs> one modern GP. Uh, I did not do very well in that GP, and maybe that has tainted my vision of it. But Tezzeret, Agent of Bullets is too blue-black. Tezzeret, this is the... Uh, uh, scars or uh, mirrored and besieged Tezzeret. Uh, look at the top five cards of your library. You may 
reveal an artifact card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Target artifact becomes a 5-5 artifact creature as it's minus one. And then it has minus, minus four. Target player loses X life and you gain X life uh, where X is twice the amount of artifacts you control. Comes in at three. So finds artifacts you need. Uh, it's most important ability is it turns any artifact you have in play into a pretty beefy attacking threat, especially if you use something like an artifact land that has a destructible, like Darksteel Citadel, or just, uh, I mean, that, that, that's the, the dopest thing you can do. <laughs> uh, and then obviously it's minus four is a, is a win condition. I mean, it, it can do, I've dealt 20 damage with Tezzeret, Agent of Bullis in oh. Legacy out of Affinity. As have I. As have I. It feels like this card has been outclassed, the big reason that it's, it's so low for a lot of people. Again, there was a time and a place when this card was the only thing able to do what it was doing. I mean, there was the original Tezzeret, the five-minute Tezzeret, which probably we could have considered on here. It's just that it's never been good in modern. It's only been the good in Vintage and Legacy. But, you know, like, this card at four, being able to make a big artifact threat to dig for artifacts as a winning condition was great. You look at what's happened since, though. The Tezzerets they've printed since are also good. There's been multiple good ones. They're, they have printed Karn at four, which is, like, an insane four drop. Like Karn kind of makes this guy look like just like the little brother. Like he doesn't. Yeah, like Urza and Karn. Like Urza, the creature card, and then Karn, the great creator, and even the one that we didn't include, which is uh, Karn, sign of Urza. Uh, both kind of outclass this card. I think I do. I will say that. It's this or original Tezzeret, the five mana Tezzeret, are probably in in my if I were to pick one to be the best in modern or the best of all time. Um, so I don't think any of the newer Tezzerets are necessarily better than this. I just think that like being blue black is hard, right? It's two colors, so it's hard to find yeah. a home. It like was really good in standard back in the day too, because it was like great at breaking Jace mirrors, right? Like if someone was on Cobblade, a answer to that was playing this because you can get a hasty five five. Um, so you can kind of get around Jace's bounce ability, or even if Jace bounced your artifact, you still have Tezzeret and play gaining value. And then in just in modern, like, yeah, I think, I think just it's been a little outclassed. I do, I do love this card. And if it, and I think it does something unique enough that it could easily find a home again. And if, uh, artifact decks need a reason, say if Urza gets banned, I, I also think this has a chance to be a little bit better. I think also the other reason this card has, has gone down a little, and I know that if you think about like what this card does, the thing that it's best at, you're putting it in a deck probably with like a bunch of accelerants and mana rocks so that all of your artifacts become valuable as five fives or as things to kill your opponent. Right. The thing is those decks all advanced and grew up and became more decks that play Urza now. Those decks are doing the same thing. It's just that Urza can tap those artifacts for mana to cast more things immediately. So Urza's better. It also makes a creature without having to like sacrifice an artifact. They want to kill your creature. They have to just kill the creature that he actually makes. And then his reach, if you go infinite, is better because if we, with an artifact combo, he just wins the game outright. And like going infinite with your, uh, your, your tokens or, or whatnot, you can't go infinite with your sword combo with Tezzeret. I mean, you can get pretty close by like the minus probably nearly wins after a couple turns, but like Tezzeret's just like, or, uh, Urza just wins the next turn. Right. Elsbeth Sun Champion, number 15. Uh, four white, white. Uh, this is the six drop Elsbeth. Uh, Planeswalker Elsbeth, uh, four loyalty, plus one, put three, one, one white soldier creature tokens onto the battlefield, minus three, destroy all creatures with power four or greater, and minus seven, you get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus two, plus two, and have flying. This is historic, not historic, I mean, this was one of the best cards in the standard format it came from. In modern, it's still one of the best control finishers uh, out of white. If you're playing a control deck in white and you had 
one or two of these, one of these in your main deck or a few of these in your sideboard. Um, I don't think anyone would judge you. It coming down and creating three one ones immediately or wiping the board is an extremely powerful effect. And then obviously if it can get to its ultimate, um, all those one ones become flying three threes, uh, which is very powerful. Um, I've kind of never lost in any format where I've been able to play this and put this into play. Um, yeah, Ben? It, this card's really powerful. I hate playing against this card. I mean, it does cost six, which obviously is not my favorite part about it, but it, for what you're getting for six, like you said, it does pretty much win the game 100% of the time. It doesn't win the game in the same way that like an Ugin wins the game, but generally speaking, this is going to be played in a deck that you have already like one-for-one one resources enough to probably play this, and then this is like your haymaker. Whereas, like, Ugin is in a deck that might just curve out into its fourth land and just cast it, and then they might just, like, kill it with, like, an Assassin's Trophy. So... Yeah, if I I had to choose, though, if I had someone's, like, on turn five, which is a reasonable turn, like, kind of bad for Tron, good for a a blue-white deck, or a deck maybe playing green or whatever. Even on turn six, on turn six, which one would you rather cast? I, I would cast Elspeth Sun Champion over Ugin every time. Now... Ugin can come down on turn four in Tron decks, and Elsbeth is generally not played in decks that can play it quicker than that. Um, but the ability to, like, if I play this and I have three tokens and they kill her, I still have the three tokens, right? Not to mention the ability to kill her is so much harder because I either made tokens the block or I wiped the board. Ugin has a similar option, right? Um, it's just if they get rid of Ugin in some way, you're much farther behind than you are with yeah. Elsbeth. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, next on our list, and this is, I think... What about the the scores? Oh, the scores. Uh, you gave it a zero. Uh, I gave it a six, and... Or, uh, Mike gave it a six, and I gave it an eight. Okay. Uh, which means that I ranked it at... I was gonna say, that that puts it, I put it at, uh, I think, 13th place, if I'm doing the math right. Uh, Michael put it at, like, 15th place, uh, and you... I, you had it. You didn't include it on your list. I, didn't, I did not rank it. It wasn't one that I liked. <laughs> uh, but I did rank the next one, which is number 14, and that is Nahiri, the Harbinger, the second Boros Planeswalker on our list. Um, this is a card that has actually seen a pretty good amount of modern plays. Red, white, two for a Planeswalker that comes down to pretty high loyalty. Uh, I'm just pulling it up right now so it's in front of me. But Nahiri comes down with four loyalty with a plus two. You may discard a card if you do draw a card. Exile, target enchantment tap artifact or tap creature is a minus two and then minus eight is search your library for an artifact or creature card put it on the battlefield then shelf your library it gains haste return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step it's powerful for the reasons that we talked about which is that it comes down it has a high enough loyalty that even by protecting itself it's gotten rid of something it interacts right away which is pretty strong and something that a lot of four mana planeswalkers need to do and honestly the front side plussing it up to six makes it really really hard to deal with yeah, and it's all like the fact that it's ultimate just gets Emrakul and wins the game. It's one of the like people bounce around different control finishers out of Jess Guy. This it, it often ends up being that the prison decks you mentioned are also something uh, that it, this is another card that does really well on them. Um, just yeah, it's versatile. It draws you cards in ways. It uh, is an answer to anything you need to fight. Uh, it, it like works perfectly with Emrakul in a way that's like almost like obviously Wizard meant because from a story perspective, she's summoning Emrakul onto, uh, Innistrad. So like the fact that her plus, if it's, if an Emrakul is accidentally in your hand, you can discard the Emrakul so that it ends up in your graveyard so that when you ultimate her, she brings it into play. Um, which is a cool flavor and B really fun. She also can get artifacts. So the fact that she, she does a mini Stoneforge Mystic 
where she can fetch the batter skull and then you can, it returns to your hand is also kind of a cute thing that she does. Yeah, just a, a card draw engine, engine, win condition, card draw, and removal. All three on a planeswalker are generally the right thing you want to be doing. Um, yeah. She also can like shake it off really well. If you have a blank space, she can fill your blank space. She can create bad blood. Oh, are yeah. you are you quoting uh, Taylor Swift? It's Taylor Those Swift, Taylor right? Because the playmat with Nahiri is like very similar to the Taylor Swift song that came out at that at that exact moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she. I mean, like, yeah. Nahiri looks a little like Taylor Swift. I don't think anyone would deny that. I I, I wasn't denying maybe, maybe it. Maybe T Swift looks like Nahiri. That's probably more. Nahiri is very old. She's like <laughs> maybe two thousand years old. <laughs> there you go. She's gonna model herself after. Right, 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 right. She like visited Zendikar on a tour, and I was like, "Oh, that's yeah. fire! I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that that style." Uh, where do we, we all rank this one? Uh, you gave it a seven. Uh, Michael gave it a zero, and this is the last zero. There are no more zeros. Everything else here, everyone agreed, should be on the list. Uh, and then I gave it a nine. I had this uh, uh pretty high. Um, now Gideon, ally of Zendikar, is the number next 13. card, number thirteen. This is the uh battle for Zendikar, Gideon. Uh, two white, white planeswalker, Gideon. Its plus one is until end of turn. Gideon, ally of Zendikar, becomes a five-five human soldier ally creature with indestructible. That's still a planeswalker. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to him this turn. Its zero is put a two-two. White Knight Ally Creature Token onto the battlefield, and it has a minus four, that is, you get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus one, plus one. It is, it uh, comes down with four loyalty, um, and so the key features are, A, um, you if you plus him the turn you put him into play, he can't attack, because he doesn't have haste, uh, but if you mi- but you can minus him the turn you put him into play, but then he dies, right? So you can get the emblem immediately, but then you lose Gideon. You can uh, you you can raise his loyalty so that he can start to be you be able to ultimate on the next turn and not die or um, just make him a little bit harder to kill. But you can't. He then doesn't do anything. He's just as a it's just plus one loyalty on the turn you play him. Or you can make a two two knight token. So the 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 choices of what you have to do between the different abilities was always very interesting with this card. Also, just like pound for pound, maybe it like. There might be an argument that he's in the top twenty white cards ever printed. <laughs> I remember, like, I remember reading this card when it was first printed, seeing people play it in standard, and thinking, "This feels like power creep with the planeswalkers." Like this start, this is like where I noticed. I remember starting to think, like, I, that, I remember that stupid Gideon from the previous set that was so bad. The three mana Gideon, the four, the one, like four mana, the one from. Um... Uh, you're thinking of it's four mana. It's, it's maze, four maybe? mana. It's from it's no, it's not Dragon Mage. It's the second one. It's Gate Crash. Gate Crash. Uh, it's like you plus it, and it like equals to whatever. Like it, you plus it, yeah, it gains loyalty equal to the number of creatures someone controls. Control. <laughs> it's like really, really bad. And I just remember like reading this one and being so. A lot of four mana planeswalkers have classically come down to three loyalty. Like tends to be like the pattern at this point. I was like, so you're telling me this one comes down with four loyalty. And I can make a 2-2, and it doesn't cost anything. Like, the idea of a bad ability would be, classically, that you would make this card. You'd play a 4-drop. You'd minus 2 it, or minus 3 it even, to get mm-hmm. a 2-2. That's what, like, old Planeswalkers classically were designed to do. This has that ability for 0. It's just, you just make a 2-2. And we mentioned how we were sell Elsbeth didn't make the list, and this is kind of one of the reasons, right? Like, the power creep... Not power creep, but just, like, the power level of this Planeswalker and comparing it to Elsbeth, where... It comes down. I mean, yeah, you're right. It doesn't come down to three, but it does 
like you don't plus it on the turn you play it. So in some ways it comes down to three and has like a plus one um that brings it to four in its zero ability. But yeah, it just does a lot and 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 is just very powerful. It kind of also like none of the Sorens, the the four mana black white Sorens that yeah. were classically main like very powerful cards out of either old junk decks or Abzan decks and um black white token decks don't make the list partially because it's just Gideon Alvai Zendikar has outclassed them. It's better than both of those cards. And if you're going to play them, you would probably play him. Um, and out of control decks, he's also outclassed stuff like Elsbeth. And even like Sarah doesn't really see play because you would just play Gideon Ally of Zendikar. Um, I, I believe know, I, was sh- I was shocked that Sarah didn't like, I mean, I know it's not good enough to make the list, but like it's crazy when you read the stats on that card and think, didn't make the list. It didn't even make it into the honorable mentions, which, you no. know. Um, now, I will say that Gideon is also, I think, the only white card. This is the highest ranked white card on our list. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> oh, uh, points. Uh, you gave it a five, Michael gave it a nine, and I gave it a six. Okay. Uh, six points. Enough. So we, we gave it that many points. Now, for me, we're moving into the, we're moving into the category of like, start to get really good because this is like the first one the next up we have number 12 and that's gonna be liliana the last it's a card that i kind of missed a little bit when it was first printed in eldritch moon i know it was good but obviously it's being compared to another three mana liliana that's a really good card yeah and And so it's it's uh black black uh colorless so it's a three mana planeswalker three through loyalty plus one up till one target creature gets minus two minus one until your next turn minus two put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard then you may return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand and then minus seven you get an emblem with at the beginning of your end step put a uh put x two two black zombie creature tokens onto the battlefield or x is two plus the number of zombie uh zombies you control so, yeah, I mean, it, this it's not as good, obviously, as classic Liliana. It's a little different. Um, it has, the, the fact that it pluses to, to hurt a creature is really, really good. If you make it bigger to often either kill something or make it so something is going to be largely ineffective attacking her. The minus ability is, is a really, really cool recursive ability that's kind of rare. There's not, like, a whole lot of planeswalkers that have this ability to mill yourself and return something to your hand. It, like, is both simultaneously filling your graveyard but also give it one for one, like usually a card back. There's like not a whole lot of these, because I can tell you when I was building that stupid um, Lanessa Zephyr Mage blue-black deck where I was trying to bounce all people's lands, I was trying to figure out a way in modern to consistently return a creature from my graveyard to my hand. And like Palace Siege was one of the ones that I was able to come up with. This is like a good card that every other turn can like return a creature to my hand. So mm-hmm. I was like looking for, a, there's not that many options that for like on a good card, recursively you can get something back to well, your hand. And, and, you know, it does, it is a kind of a removal spell, right? It kills birds. It kills anything with a, a, a one-top. This kills Dark Confidants all day long. It uh, is a little bit of a fog. Like, if you can't kill it, you might be able to reduce its attack low enough so it's not a threat. Um, so you need to be a four, two, or greater for it to, uh, this to not be relevant. And, and, and a lot of things in modern kind of are three or, uh, power. Um, and then... On, uh, lastly, it like it, yeah, it's a card draw engine that eventually wins you into a win condition, right? And and it, it saw a lot of play as kind of a instead of three veils or four Liliana the veils, they would play three and Jun and one of this, right? Where this allows you to rebuy your Tarmogoyfs or rebuy your Dark Confidants when they died or rebuy um, uh, scavenging uses. Not to mention, can kill Dark Confidant if you need to if you're going to die to your own Dark Confidant, which is always a 
thing to pay attention to in Junt. Um, and you could have this and the other Liliana play at the same time. So you, it made it so if you drew too many Lilianas, you weren't so far behind. Um, yeah, I mean, if you think about it for a second, like, you know, Eternal Witness is a card that has seen a ton of play for years and has been like one of the key green cards in modern for years. A lot of the time with Eternal Witness, you're just going to be getting back a creature, right? It's a three mana card that's just going to get, like, this is doing that for creatures in your deck, but also then has the ability to kill things and to ultimately win the game. So mm-hmm. just uh, stats and, and mana cost alone compares very favorably to other strong things for value. Yep. And, and, uh, th- th- score wise, you gave it an eight, uh, eight points. Uh, Michael gave it eight points out of 20. Uh, I gave it 11 points out of 20. So I had it in my top 10. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I think this has done a lot of work in modern. Um, yeah, next, and it's a three mana planeswalker, right? Like uh, eventually we're going to get to the point where a lot of the cards, the, a lot of the cards moving forward are going to be less expensive, the more powerful they are, or they're in Tron. <laughs> uh, uh, which means that they're all less expensive. <laughs> um, Chandra Torch of Defiance is number 11. Uh, this is the Kaladesh uh, Chandra. This is the four ability one. This is two red red. Uh, plus one, exile the top card of your library. You may cast that card. If you don't, Chandra Torch of Defiance deals two damage to each opponent. Uh, you have a pl- another plus one, which is just add two, uh, two red mana to your mana pool. Um, you can minus three... Tarnja Torch of Defiance deals four damage to target creature, or you can minus seven, and it has a minus seven, which you get an emblem when, whenever you cast a spell, this emblem deals five damage to target creature or player. It's a four loyalty planeswalker. Now, in some ways, this is a five ability planeswalker, because its original plus one is you either draw a card or do two damage to your opponent. You can kind of do either or. Um, and, and after the first time you play it, first time you play it, it's literally, you're just going to probably do two damage, but then from that point on, it's, you get to choose. Um, so extremely powerful, um, has, you know, was the card that I believe got mono red, like mono red, scred red to, uh, win a GP. Um, it was, you know, what, like cause of the hammer didn't make the list. It was so close. Um, but just like, this is kind of the re- reason those decks did well. Koth is just a really good pa- player in those decks. Um, and just really good in Jund, really good in control decks. Um, just kind of pound for pound, one of the best red planeswalkers, if not the best mono red planeswalker looking. I mean, it's funny because if you remember printed. correctly, Chandra <laughs> Pyromaster was printed within a year or two of this in, before it. And when it was printed, Chandra Pyromaster was considered to be like the good red Chandra because they had printed Chandra the Firebrand which was the four-mana one that you could, like, duplicate a spell, deal one damage to things. And so they had done both of those in the few years prior to this, like, trying to find the, the, the secret sauce. Yeah. So when this one finally came out, it was like, oh, this is what they were supposed to actually do. This is, like, what it was supposed to feel like. The, the, like, Chandra's classically were just all bad, right? Five-mana planes, five, the original, of the original lore one, five, the original Chandra, the five-mana one, like, is famously the one that saw the least amount of play. In standard yeah. of the five, I think it's like was in some sideboards because it could kill. Uh, I believe it could kill Baneslayer Angels. Was its like main move because yeah. Baneslayer like it wasn't a dragon or or it, it could kill a specific creature that I I think it was Baneslayer. Um, it like was its only use was just out of Jund you would play it because it was an answer to the one threat you can't deal with out of the deck. Um, and like. Then they printed Chandra Blaze, which I think is criminally underplayed in Commander, but in every other format is terrible. Uh, was, <laughs> like a, isn't it like the six drop one? It's the six drop one that has, it pluses, you have to discard a card. 
There's not a, it's not a maybe. It's not you may discard a card. It's you have to discard a card. And if, only if that card is red, does it do four damage to any target. Okay. So you have to discard a, a card that does something. You can't discard a land. <laughs> uh, or another color. Uh, it's, it's minus, which is its good ability, is everyone discards their hand and draws two cards. So, so, and you can do it just twice. It comes in at four loyalty. I, I don't even remember what it's ultimate. I think it's ultimate. Just lets you cast any amount of spells in your graveyard for free, is if I remember yeah, correctly, or red spells. And in Commander, where there are blue decks that draw twelve cards a turn, having the ability to in it, basically mind twist those opponents, making them discard their hand and go back to three, while also in a red deck, which generally has a problem drawing cards, drawing the drawing three cards is good. In every Chandra Ablaze should have maybe made it to the Marvel Mentions, but it didn't. No, Chandra no, no, no. It, it should never see play. Yeah. Uh, uh, then they were put on the, the, the Reflect one. That was probably the next best one, the one that had Fork as its ability. That was like the first one that was like kind of playable, but then even then wasn't. Then they printed, uh, the Chandra that had kind of half of these abilities, right? It could, it could zero to do the, like, look at the top card of your library. You can cast it this turn. If you can't, it gets exiled forever, basically. Um, it had a plus that let it do one damage to any target, which was like just enough to make that worth it. Um, but yeah, there was like just a period where like Red Planeswalkers, the best one, best one for a while was just Koth. And then yeah. Chandra Torch of Deviance rolls in. And then six mana Chandra that makes two, three, one Hasters rolls in, and they started actually figuring out what these cards should look like. Um, and now you have, and now you have, yeah, now you have Chandra Acolyte of Flame, which. So. Oh, yeah, last year they printed Chandra Acolyte of Flame. They printed even Chandra uh, out of uh, War of the Spark is like pretty great. I mean, standard, not in modern, but like the ability to just like draw cards, and she gets a lot of loyalty, and they can't really attack her because. They'll take damage from it. Is yeah, like the powers are removed. They like take damage. Yeah. yeah. So where where do we rate uh, Chandra? Uh, you gave it a twelve. Uh, Michael gave it an eleven, and I gave it a seven. Uh, I, you actually both ranked it higher than I did. So before we get to our top ten, I do want to give a quick shout out about our Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash The MMCast. Alex and I spent a bunch of time recently kind of revamping the whole Patreon. We've got the whole thing you guys heard at the beginning of the show about becoming a house noble. There's a bunch of different cool tiers. We're going to be doing the uh, the special meeting of the minds, a seat, a tea time at the modern house, we're calling it, which is going to be like sort of like private Google Hangout. People want to go to that level. Um, there's going to be some exclusive deck techs. I posted the very first one of those, actually. It's right now live uh, to only patrons. It's it's a behind the scenes deck tech of a really, really cool new um, like hollow one deck that, that Saffron Olive was doing called Hollow Herald. You can see me talk about that. Got another one coming up very soon. So go check it out, patreon.com slash the MMCast. Especially in these uncertain times, we are doing everything we can to keep this show going, and it's a great way to support what we're doing. If you guys are fans of it, go check it out. If you would want to become a uh, house noble, if you want to take a seat at the table, so to speak. All right, let's get to our top ten. This this is, I think, the most expensive Planeswalker, not of all time because uh, there are other ones, but on this list, um, Ugin the Spirit Dragon, uh, coming in at number ten. Uh, the rankings were Ben put, gave it a nine, uh, Michael gave it a 13 and I gave it a 12. So that, uh, you put it just under your top 10, me and Michael put it kind of around this spot. This kind of ends up pretty much where we all kind of thought it should. Um, this is the original Ugin Planeswalker. Uh, eight colorless to cast. Plus two, do throw damage to target creature or player, minus X, exile each permanent with converting mana cost X or less. Uh, that's one or more colors, so no colorless things. 
Um, and minus 10, you gain seven life, you draw seven cards, and then you put up to seven permanents from your hand onto the battlefield, which is classically the opposite of Nicol Bolas' original call. Nicol Bolas Planeswalker? Yes. Nicol Bolas. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that sounds right. Nickel. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's really powerful, super good and big and huge and powerful. Um, I, I think that from a modern perspective, there's some humor to the fact that something that costs eight has a lightning bolt as its plus. There, like, that's always been kind of laughable to me, but like, I've never cast an eight drop in modern in my life, I don't think, but I've cast a billion lightning bolts. And so the idea that I get to cast an eight drop and lightning bolt the same turn is like really awesome. Um, this card has wrecked me many times when I'm playing like silly tempo decks against big mana decks. It comes down and you can't counter it, and you're just like, I have nothing. Yeah, so and like, and, and obviously this is played in Tron, right? If it, it, the ability to have seven man on turn three and then eight man on turn four, and and classically that deck is more consistently hitting uh, uh, eight man on turn four than even seven man on turn three because they have to use a forest in the earlier turns to to be able to tutor for the lands they need. Um, but pretty consistently can get that down without much of an issue. And so this is really a four drop planeswalker, right? We're like ranking this amongst the four drop walkers here. Um, and yeah, I looked it up. Nickel Bullis is, uh, Nickel Bullis planeswalkers ultimate is, uh, deals seven damage to target player. That player discards seven cards and sacrifices seven permanent. So Ugin's ultimate is the opposite of Nickel Bullis. They're twins. Um, they're both brothers, uh, from back in the day. Uh, and yeah. Ugin's really good. I, I, I've never been sad with it in play in front of me. <laughs> card's really sweet. I, I haven't cast a lot of Ugin's or Nickel Balls in my life, but at one of the Magic Festivals that are in a Chaos Draft, did draft Cruel Ultimatum and just like casted a bunch of games. <laughs> just won every single game that I cast it. It just like stay alive as long as I could. So I do know the sweetness of the ability of right. that, that experience. Um, but yes, Ugin is great. Uh, moving on to number nine. Number nine, a new card. This is from War of the Spark. This was actually surprising because I think earlier this year, um, or last, late last year when Oko was kind of running around, this wasn't on a lot of people's lists as one of the most played cards in, in modern, but is actually the most played planeswalker in modern, the fifth most played spell, non-creature spell in modern. Um, and it is, Ashiok Dream Render, uh, three mana, uh, one blue black, blue black, uh, for a legendary planeswalker Ashiok. It's one of the static ability planeswalkers. Uh, their ability is spells and abilities your opponent's control can't cause their controller to search the library. Yeah, search their library, and then they have a minus one. Uh, target player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard, then exile each opponent's graveyard. Comes in with five loyalty, so you can mill, uh, yourself. 20 cards while exiling your opponent's graveyard or mill your opponent out for 20 cards uh, while making sure they don't get to take advantage of those cards they put in their graveyard and they can't search. So it turns off fetch lands, it turns off tutors, it turns off rampant growth, it turns off all the things. Um, There's a lot of things this card does really well. It's a really interesting design because if I was sort of cooking this card up in a lab, it's like what kind of comes to mind is like, all right, so I'd like to have something that's playable in multiple colors. I'd like it to be able to shut off tutors and, and slow my opponent down and I also need to add on one more thing so let's make it so that we can exile their graveyard like it's kind of just the perfect like we're going to just introduce this to modern as a card that you can jam into a lot of sideboards card um, there's also some really really cool play with this card that's that's very very interesting because because of the fact that you can exile your opponent's graveyard uh, it means that any of the parallel tutor types of cards 
Um, any of like there's there's a bunch of stuff now that has been printed. So like scheming symmetry right now, I believe, is still legal in standard. I've done the thing before where I cast scheming symmetry, then I cast this card and exile their or, or uh, mill their top four and then exile it. Right? There's also I believe wish claw talisman is currently legal in standard. That's another card. Uh, but you know once it goes to their ability, they can no longer activate it to be able to do the search function. So there's like some really interesting stuff you can do with this card. It's like pretty cool, I think. Obviously, you know, any any kind of tutor that's going to put something on top of your opponent's library, you can then mill the top four. Um, it's it's a good hate card. It's like, I guess you'd main deck it in some decks probably, but it's really just a sideboard card that's like about as efficient as it gets. Well, no, I, th- I mean, I think like the uh, what's it called decks definitely main deck Ashiok, right? The Nibmizit, the fire, the the five color one because it's it's oh, a, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. great it's the a great it's a two color, so it, it 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 can be one of the cards that you can guaranteed find. Um, and most decks are playing tutors. The monocolored ones are stuff like Tron, where they're playing a bunch of ways to find their lands, and the everyone's playing fetch lands. So the the ability to just stop those effects is is really powerful. There's more and more powerful tutors being printed too. Think about it. War of Inventions, it's very very popular. You have um, the Delirium one, Traverse Ilvenwall. Seen it sees play in the four color shadow decks. I mean, obviously every single fetch land. There's and there's a uh, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, modern plays a lot of tutors, and and some of the decks that aren't playing tutors, uh, even in fetchland format, are like Dredge, where this uh, exiles the graveyard, so <laughs> it's still oh, good. One thing about this card that is really interesting too is that they designed it specifically and said that abil- spells and abilities your opponent's control can't cause them to search, which means you can't pair this card with like Path to Exile or Ghost Quarter or something like that and try to nuke their stuff and have them search and it turns it off. Mm-hmm. That doesn't. work. Uh, you gave it a six, so you give it six points. Um, so it was in, uh, and then, uh, Michael gave it a 16, and I gave it a 14. Um, okay. it was, a, it was even hard for that low for me, partially just because it is seeing so much play, uh, right now in the format. Like the, the fact that they are in more decks than any other planeswalker and is, is pretty significant. Um, but, on top of that, as you said, it is mostly a sideboard card, mostly a hate card versus some of these other cards that we've talked about and are talking about, especially above it, that are much more of like the engine cards, right? These are the cards that decks are built around. Um, next card on that list uh, is, and this is another card from 2019 from War of the Spark. Uh, Number eight, Narset Parter of Veils. So blue, blue one, it's another one of the static planeswalkers. Your opponents cannot draw more than one card each turn. Turns off any cantrip, turns off any shenanigans, and it has a minus two ability. It comes down with five loyalty. Uh, the minus two ability states, look at the top four cards of your library. You may, you may reveal a non-creature nominate card from among them and put it into your hand with the rest of the bottom of your library in any order. So you get to search for Azkanta, effectively, the, the land tap ability of the flip side, um, twice. So this thing is going to come down, draw you a card right away, presumably, probably. And uh, turn off your opponents from being able to draw cards, and then if they let it live, draw you another card, and still turn off things your opponents do because it doesn't have four loyalty; it's got five. So once you activate it twice, it still just sits there until they kill it. Mm-hmm. So, so it will wreck draws for your opponent. It acts as a fog um, for your opponent, and then it uh, obviously lets is drawing you cards while that's happening. It, it does so many powerful things just on its own. Um, obviously, you can then combo it with effects that like normally would be one-sided draw effects uh, that you draw and now your opponent doesn't. Um, in order of older formats, Windfall and stuff like that. Or what? what and, and then in modern, what's the wheel that ends the turn? 
the wheel that ends the turn is called Days Undoing. Yeah, Days Undoing. So if you have Narciss in play and you Days Undoing, you mind twist your opponent, they draw no cards, and you draw seven. So um, very powerful things that this can combo with. But Jen is just like a very powerful control card. Draws you two cards, the exact two cards you need. Stays in play, prevents your opponent from doing something. I, I think, um, and I think this is the last, well, no, we have more. I guess, but I do want to have a little bit of a conversation now. I think this is the time. I think that I like static ability planeswalkers on the start there. I think that as a, as a design space, it's really cool. Some of them are really awesome. I just think that they shouldn't be hate cards. Yeah. I think the, the, the static abilities that are on them that stop your opponent from doing something in ways it's hard to pay attention to are when it's a mistake. Cause I think the bigger issue with Narset is less a like, a, this is a not fun thing. I think they should never print again. Your opponent can't draw cards. <laughs> um, or they need to do better at it. But I do think the bigger issue here is the fact that people just forget and will draw ca- extra cards and be like, oh, wait. Or like cast a Serum Visions and they're like, well, I just discarded a card for no reason. Or yeah. um, other examples are on Ashiok. You know, they fetch into Ashiok, right? That, that's, that's of the two cards we've talked so far. I, there are even cards like... Um, I have a commander deck built around uh, War Tamiya, the blue-green one that prevents you from sacrificing and discarding cards, and spent a game just discarding cards, not even remembering that I had the static ability that I couldn't do it. So it, 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 they, they need to be a little bit more proactive or uh, matter on casting. Like, Tezzeret's fine. Uh, I think the Chandra, the six-mana Chandra, that like can't be countered, totally fine as a static ability. Um, but do, you when think you- that, do you think that... So two questions for you first one is specifically on Narset part of it. Do you think the fact that it's an uncommon is sort of odd and shouldn't have been the case, or do you think that's fine? I think it's fine. I don't think rarity on Planeswalkers matters as much to me. Um, okay. That just and means it's not expensive, right? Like, in reality, for Limited, I thought the Planeswalkers were great for the most part. I really liked War of the Spark Limited. I know it was like a, a relatively... Some people loved it, some people hated it. I think the yeah. bigger issue is that you know that, and beyond that, that's just cost, right? I mean, like yeah. the fact that some of these are rares and some of them are commons, uncommons. I like the uncommon planeswalker design space. I think Chandra, um, the four mana uncommon Chandra for M twenty is also really cool, right? Like I would would not mind seeing more of that. I think we're gonna probably get an uncommon Teferi in M twenty one based on how they did Chandra. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's fine. I think my other question I had for you was if if the cards you were talking about if. Not- if, uh, you know, if Ashiok, what if they were parallel abilities? Players can't draw more than one card per turn. Players can't search their libraries. Now, obviously, they wouldn't be as good, but I'm saying if they were parallel abilities, would you be more okay with them? I, especially those things, I think people just forget. I think it, that's the bigger issue is, like, it's, 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 there's too much collateral uh, built into what a Planeswalker is doing that people aren't using that, like, don't interact with them the way they do creatures or enchantments, that they, like, are like, oh, yeah. this is what this card does. Um, it's more like, oh, this is drawing them cards and doing stuff, and like, oh, yeah, it has this ability. I also think, like, a lot of the times they did multiple things, and that cutting that down, maybe, um, would help if it's, like, very simple. If Ashiok was just, like, abilities can't make them tutor, but they can tutor with cards, maybe it's better, or vice versa. Like, oh, they can't use cards that let them tutor, but if they sack a fetch land, it's fine. Um, gotcha. and, uh, yeah, but I think, I think just in, but this is like all a risk where like, if it's just like, uh, Domi raids plus ability, which is like all your creatures get plus one plus zero. Fine. Right. Like that's, that's, yeah. that's a little bit easier to deal with. Um, 
Next car, oh, and uh, you ranked it with a 14. I ranked, uh, Michael ranked it as a 12, and then I ranked it as a 13. So we were like all. Right in the same range. This is like, yeah, kind of like, this is eighth, sixth, seventh, or eighth best card in the format. Um, I'm shocked on this next one. I cannot believe this. So we have this, this Renan 6 comes in at number seven here, and I'm stunned. You can reveal the scores now if you want. I put Renan 6 pretty freaking high. Yeah, this was your second place. So you had it at 19th. Uh, you give it 19 points. Uh, I give it 15. Michael gave it 10. Michael, uh, drinks a lot of Ren and Six Haterade. Uh, yeah. he drinks a lot of Jund Haterade, which I think is a mistake. There's like a classic, I'm good at magic attitude where like Jund's not actually a good deck. Just it like, but it top eights every, every GP and right. tons of people play it and have good success with it. I think that there's just a level of like, it's 55% against the field, so it's like the lazy man's good deck, and the people that play it are also just have played it for so long that they're really good at it, um, which I guess is fine, but I, I think that that's one of the reasons Michael uh, has put it down. He also, like, obviously it's not at the power level it was in Legacy where Wasteland was available. Generally, I think that's like a, a, a trap that really good players, I mean, I guess trap is the wrong word, but a lot of really, really good players kind of always are like, oh, Jun sucks, it's just... Uh, people only, the only people that play it just do well with it. But like it, when it's in every GP, it top topics every GP, it has answers to kind of everything. It's kind of the classic 55% against the field deck. Um, so I guess like, and then you have to be really good at it, I guess. And so like for pro players who bounce between different formats, it's not the easiest sections to pick up and be good at. Um, but I, I also think that that's a little bit why I ranked it badly is like, is it that good in Jund? Um, mind you, it is the 30th most played spell. In, um, modern, in, in total, um, it is the one, two, three, four, five, six. It's the sixth, the seventh best. So we have it kind of right in the right spot, uh, as far as rankings go. Uh, most played planeswalker in the format, but it is, it is definitely a card that, um, kind of reinvigorated Jund, gives Jund a lot of power level. It's like very strong. The ability to buy back cycle lands and fetch lands. Um, there was a point where I was playing, uh, in classic Junt, like the list was like almost stock. I was just playing a Life from the Loam just because being able to get extra lands to make sure I hit my land drop, to rebuy Raging Ravines, to be able to have just something to discard the Liliana the Veils while making my opponent discard real cards um, was so powerful. And Rena 6 does all of those things, but as a two drop that also kills every X1 on the planet. Um, and eventually ultimates and wins you the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I think, I think the fine line with this card is we sometimes ask what are the cards that would, you know, make it okay to sort of turn modern into legacy. And one of those cards is Wasteland. Well, if Wasteland exists in modern, we're in trouble because this card with Wasteland is completely unfun and not fair at all and would be a horrible thing for the format. It would completely dominate and take over the format, I think, kind of almost immediately. Um, I, I think that the design on this card is amazing. I've been a big fan of this card for a long time. I think it's perfectly designed for a two-mana Planeswalker. It's everything that I wanted a two-mana two Planeswalker to be. Um, and I think that, you know, the fact that it just, if you don't have some kind of unfair lock like I'm talking about, it buys back Fetchlands. It gives you value. It protects itself a little bit, kills mm-hmm. some things, and it has a really cool ability with the retrace. We saw recently the Fires of Invention deck with Savor the Moments and this card, and it kind of creates a really, really cool loop to just take a million turns. And, and yeah, I love Red Six, big fan. I, I think it's crazy powerful. I can't believe it's so low. Yeah, I think I think that oh, it's not that low. It's seventh place, but I, I think that it it 
So we forgot to read what it does. So it's red green, uh, legendary creature planeswalker Ren. It's a uh, three loyalty, uh, plus one return up to one target land card from your graveyard to your hand. Minus one, Ren six deals one damage to any target. Minus seven, you get an emblem with instance and sorcery cards in your graveyard have retrace, which we kind of talked about those abilities a little bit, but I wanted to make sure we had that for people listening to audio only. And it's great. I think I, I, every card here is great, right? Like it, it, as far as where it's ranked among the next six cards, I don't think any of them are really arguable to be better or worse. Well, there's one that maybe I would put below this, and I seem to have them relatively tied, so there's that somehow. Um, hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think I think the next card, though... So moving on, next we have number six, which is Karn Liberated. Uh, Karn Liberated is the original Karn Planeswalker. Not the original Karn card, but Planeswalker. Uh, seven mana, uh, or three mana, depending on how many Tron lands you have in play. Uh, Legendary Planeswalker Karn, plus four, target player exiles a card from their hand. Minus three, exile target permanent. Minus fourteen, restart the game, leaving in exile all non-Aura permanent cards exiled with Karn liberated. Then put those cards onto the battlefield under your control. Has six loyalty. Classically the only card, I believe, in Magic, at least in Modern, that can uh, uh, remove emblems, um, because by restarting the game, you get rid of emblem effects. So it is one of the only answers to emblems. Um, the first colorless planeswalker, uh, there is a whole long argument at Wizards. It, should it be an artifact uh, planeswalker? They decided, nah, it's just colorless. We live in that world. Um, and each of your opponent's hands, exiles target permanent. It, in many ways, it's been compared to Liliana of the Veil on, on just like, on speed, right? It like, it pluses four versus plus one instead of both of you discarding, they exile a card. Instead of minusing to have them sacrifice a permanent, it just exiles target permanent. Um, and then they both have big ultimates that remove a bunch of permanents in play. Um, yeah, it's, a, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's basically, you know, the one, two, three curve, uh, of a, very, very similar to one another. I have opened this card in, at a GP in limited. I believe in Modern Masters 2, I think is one that happened and it was epically good. Um, and, and is so powerful. Uh, I think if it was an artifact, it would have been terrible. You could, if you could shatter this, it would be so much worse. You could have, with, with one half of Colgon's command, if you could get rid of a Karn, but it may make you discard a card and kill your Karn with the other half of his Colgon's command. Yeah, but like, you both spent three tapped lands to play it. I mean, I think, I think it definitely makes it worse, right? I don't know if it makes it terrible. Colgon's command being one of the old, like, few main decked artifact hate cards that would be an issue, right? A, a braid, maybe, but a braid even is more of a sideboard card. I guess you could accelerate into it differently with like other things that, like, you could play this alongside Urza more easily, and just like it seems. Grand, it seems you really can play powerful. this off a of Grand Architect. Uh, uh, in shops, could play it in Vintage. These are <laughs> anyway. That's uh, that, that's going to be uh, Carnes. That's that's going to come in. At number six for us. So I um, rankings. You ranked it at number fifteen. You give it fifteen points. So that's your fifth best. Uh, I ranked it at sixteen, giving it my four. It was my number four, and Michael ranked it at fourteen, making it its number seven six. Uh, so five six. Uh, you were fifth, Mike. It was right. We got all ranked we'll, at fifteen. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have it right yeah. around the top five. Yeah, the top five. Uh, next on this list, and. This is the one that I I would maybe think would be below Ren and Six, and and am surprised, but we'll talk about it in a second. This is five mana Teferi, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, white blue three for a planeswalker that comes down 
on four loyalty has a plus one ability of draw a card at the beginning of your next untap step. Und- uh, sorry, the beginning of your end step, untap up to two lands you control. Uh, minus three ability, which is uh, put target non-land permanent and opponent controls third from the top, right? Mm-hmm. And then what's the ultimate? Uh, minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent and opponent controls, which is interesting because it's kind of similar to Venture's, right? Venture's ability was whenever you cast a spell, you can argue, uh, exile target permanent uh, and opponent controls, so it's in a similar space as that. This was, you know, at one point considered the best Planeswalker in Modern. Um... It, it is often compared to Jace, the Mind Sculptor, in power level, um, and it is historically just very, very, very you know strong. It was dominant and standard to the point that people were sick of Teferi, and by the time the next Teferi came out, which eventually we'll talk about, uh, spoilers, but uh, like it was like too much good Teferi. Um, the bad will towards the the. <laughs> Teferi in general is less than good because he has just been so powerful in such a dominating way one too many times. Um, and for a while was very good. I think he's fallen by the wayside a little to me. Actually, I, I would say that compared to some of the other planeswalkers, he's just seeing less play. He is the, currently the only planeswalker in, uh, or it and Narset are the only planeswalkers in our top nine that uh did not show up in the 50th most played cards in uh modern um it it and narset so for instance karn liberated was number 37 uh ren and six was number 30 uh and ashiok was number five uh the next four are all in that top 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 number um and and just teferi wasn't which was really interesting but i think part of that is it's there's another planeswalker that outclasses a little bit um, and it competes a little bit with Jace and just Jace does stuff a little bit better, I think. But, um, it's obviously we're going to talk about in a second. Here. Yeah. Really? Jace is on our list. Oh, man, <laughs> I, I did have to say with the fairy hero of Dominaria, one of the things and we've said this before, it's not really a five drop. Like you have to cast it for five mana, but it really does function actually as a three drop because of the way that you untap the lands, especially in a blue white deck where having two mana available is kind of the, that's the live or die difference in the blue white control deck. If you have two mana open when you pass the turn, it's like, the whole game is played differently. And so um, this card, obviously, be, having the ability to do the Teferi Tuck if you absolutely needed to, have an, having that ability to start to generate card advantage, and, you know, going up to five loyalty when you plus it is, is a, it's a big number. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're drawing an extra card, you have two untapped lands, and it's at five loyalty. If you can resolve this, and most, most of the time you're kind of set up, and that's why when this card was getting played originally in Standard and I started playing Highlander, I remember, I didn't play a blue-white match in, in Modern for a little while, there was a minute where I was like, this is the best Planeswalker ever. This is better than Jace. Like, I was I was convinced for a second there. I, so and, it, and, it, and it could swing back that way, right? Like, I think, I think it's just it's competing with other ones. In some ways, it's really interesting. Um, so Teferi is kind of this, is it, him and Johnny both have this almost Obi-Wan Kenobi-esque uh vibe right where they're like we're here to teach a younger generation we're the teachers of this group um we're the wise ones because we're old uh and with the fairy he almost teaches control players how to play magic correctly right like you're you you shouldn't run sometimes your three mana planeswalker that on turn three you should wait until turn five so you can have counter magic backup and he forces you to do that right you comes down on five and then gives you the removal spell, um, plus card draw and everything else. I, I, yeah, I, this card's really fun to play with. Uh, I had him famous, uh, not famously, but I had him at my uh, pre-release for Dominaria. Like, just like 
I think I, I think I five owed the event without losing a game just because every time I played Teferi it just was like unstoppable. Um, and he, see, I had the foil one. It was my pre-release card and I folded it accidentally in a deck box. I remember this. <laughs> so I have, I think it, at the time it was worth like $90 and it just like folded in half, big crease. I currently have it in Geist because Commander doesn't care if a card is folded, but sad days. Um, so the given rankings, uh, uh, you ranked it as, uh, number 16. Uh, Michael ranked it as number 18, and then I ranked it at number 14, uh, with 14 points. Not at number, sorry. I gave it 14, you gave it, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, and so, so Michael had it as his number, number three. Um, I had it in, as my number six, and then you had it at your number four. So, um, it generally makes sense where it ended up. I, I do think maybe Ren and Six and Karn Liberated are better. Uh, of uh, uh, this is that's where I would dis- disagree in this top list. Um, I do think it belongs in the top ten. I just think I don't think it's better than maybe those two. And, and Ashiok is weird. Ashiok might actually just be the best planeswalker. <laughs> um, yeah, Ashiok's crazy. So uh, we have so we have four left. We have four, and this so this next one was one that actually I'm like pretty low on this next one. I was I and we're pretty far off on this. And the next one we have listed here is Karn the Great Creator. This is the War of the Spark Karn. This is the Karn that obviously. For a minute there, this pair with Michael and Gladys was just like the bee's knees of modern. It was like, this is un- the unstoppable, unbeatable thing. Now, Lattice is gone. It's banned. But Karn is still very, very good. Yeah. Um, so so it, it uh, its abilities are activated abilities of artifacts your opponent's control can't be activated, um, which is what it comboed with Michael and Gladys to make it so it locked your opponent out of the game. Uh, plus one until your next turn, up to one target non-creature artifact becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness, each equal to the converted mana cost. It's converted mana cost. And then it's minus two, which is its big power move, is you may choose an artifact card you own from outside the game or an exile. Reveal the card and put it into your hand. Comes out at five loyalty, so it can literally just minus two twice, getting you two cards either out of exile or from, from, from your, or, uh, the land cyborg. of cyborg. Um, but in general, it's just very, very powerful. Now, it is the sixth most played spell in modern, not or, or non-creature spell. Um, it is Ashiok is right below above it at five. Um, but basically, it's like all of the cantrippy removal things that have always been in the top five: Astrolabe, then Karn, <laughs> Ashiok, and Karn. Uh, and I mean, part of it is like if you remember. Michael Synthetis was this really unfun, really powerful lock that was kind of annoying, but a lot of decks even stopped playing it in their sideboard just because there's, you can get other cards that are just as good. You can get, um, liquid metal coating that start blowing up their land. You can get, uh, any of these really powerful artifact hate cards that ostensibly lock your opponent out, right? You can get, uh, uh, ensnaring bridge. Most decks can't beat that. You can get Trinisphere. You can get Trinisphere. Uh, you can get like there's all these different weird hate cards that exist that are artifacts that just like also kind of win the game if you have them. Um, yeah, classically, classically the the wish cards were played by very good players. Like you you've had over the years, like dating back to standard into legacy, like you know obviously Cunning Wish being probably the most famous of the wish cards. Glittering Wish got quite a bit of modern play at one point. So the whole idea of getting something from your sideboard, the sort of silver bullet that that creates, is just a really, really good thing you can do if you're a good player, especially when there's an established metagame where you having one ofs of all these silver bullets can really make the difference. Well, and, and and this is a mechanic that Wizards has pretty blatantly shown that they're really interested in now, right? Because 
Um, and it, it, there's, there's two real reasons. One, they wanted to cut down on shuffling. So just general tutor effects. They wanted the lesson. Um, but two, because best of one is such a key important feature to magic arena play, having cards that are really good in one, uh, in, in just, if you're only playing one game, like sideboards don't matter are more and more important. So having this Fay of wishes, um, the uh the Vivian that they came out with are kind of the first three, but I would be very surprised if we just don't see more wish cards coming out over the next at least year, um, if not longer. I say that because the power level of last year has definitely made Wizards probably question some of the things they were doing. This is a very yeah, powerful sure. thing they did. Um but I think I think Michael Sith Lattice was more of an issue here. I think without it, this card's very fair. It's very good, obviously. It's the top top six spells played in modern. But um I think just it's really powerful. Uh, to give the rankings of this kind of speaks to you had it a lot lower, um, which was at 13. And then Michael had it as his number one. This is Michael's best Planeswalker in Modern. He, he gave it 20 points. Uh, I had it at number two. Uh, I gave it 19. Um, but I, I, I can see where like, it, the, this is a hard, these four are hard to rate, right? All, all different yeah. slots. Um, it, like I think it, 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 I think it feels fine here. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I could see it being higher, but I'm there. Next one, incidentally, uh, I, I I think we all knew it was going to be high. I remember where I was when this was spoiled. I was with you. We were on a trip in Bentonville, Arkansas. They were just starting to spoil these cards, and this thing popped up, and you showed me your phone, and you're like, call it right now. That's the best card in the set. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I was like, well, like, first of all, it's not surprising because the card is Teferi Time Raveler. And that's such a you card. Um, yeah. It, well, yeah. I mean, I, I can explain why I said that at the time <laughs> and why I was, uh, I wasn't right, I don't think, but I was close to right. <laughs> I mean, it's a very, very, very powerful set. Um, the yeah. Time Raveler is uh, one blue, one color, one white for a Planeswalker, another static ability Planeswalker. Each opponent can't cast spells only any time they can cast a sorcery. Uh, yes. plus you plus one until your next turn, you may cast sorcery spells as though they had flash and return as a minus three, return up to one target artifact, creature or enchantment to its owner hand, draw a card comes out of four loyalty. So it can minus three stays alive, uh, at one loyalty and then can plus from there. Um, obviously three mana planeswalker. Here's the deal at the time that this card was printed. Uh, what was the, 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 the mana war that had silence effect attached to it or, uh, uh, Oh, Reflector Mage. Yeah, so at, at the time, Reflector Mage um, was a staple in Modern. Was one of the best cards in Standard when it was in Standard. Um, and this card does most of what that card does, but draws you a card, leaves a Planeswalker in play... And then from that point on, makes it so your your opponent is now playing Hearthstone, and you get to play everything at flash speed. Um... And it's three mana planeswalker. I don't. I like it, when I read it. I was. I was so. I was flabbergasted. Not flabbergasted. I was just like, yeah. Oh, I. I and, and the fact that this wasn't, or could arguably not be, the most powerful card in the set. Now, most powerful planeswalker we currently have rated. Karn was another insane card from that set. Uh, Neoform is a card from that set that is like insane. Like our Narset, Ashiok. Um, and that list keeps going. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, I think. I think the thing about Time Raveler, it took me a minute to totally get on board with. Cause I, I knew it was good. 
You know, I didn't play games with it right away. I didn't have it at the pre-release. I didn't even add this to a Highlander sure. deck or play a game with it in Modern for probably a month after it really started seeing any kind of significant play. Where it really convinced me was when I was trying to come up with ideas to protect whatever fragile combos I was building. Classically, you know, if I had access to black, it'd be hand disruption. If I had access to blue, it would be counter spells. This card was like, so you're telling me I can just play this card because it's good anyway, play it early in the game, bounce something. Then if I can protect this, my combo is going to go off without a hitch because they will not be able to interact with me at all. The fact that Infect became a Bant deck <laughs> because you get very Time Raveler then makes it so they like just can't lose if they it goes unanswered and they untap with this in play is saying a lot, right? Like it it, it does so many things that decks want to do. Uh, it, I honestly think this card maybe is a mistake. Like I, it, it's, it's just on the line. It's not powerful enough where it's ever going to be banned or it's going to be banned in a while, but it's pretty unfun. <laughs> it's, that's, uh, that's what it is, is that it's, it's unfun. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing about Time Raveler, you know, you, you don't realize it until you really start to break down the mechanics of how Game of Magic is played, right? So you and I had a conversation about the mechanics a couple weeks ago. And one of the ones that you and I were discussing was split second. I was telling you, the reason I think Split Second is so good is not because they put it on good cards, it's because it fundamentally changes the pattern of the way you play Magic. Like, it's like the, the, the functions of the way you view cards, the way you're interacting, the way you're waiting for things, you don't get to do that anymore. Similar thing with this, where once this card is down, it's like everything you've been taught that is good gameplay basically just goes out the window. Now you, now your options are reduced to this like tiny fraction of what you were otherwise able to do, and they paid so little to be able to do that. It's, it isn't fun. Playing against this card is awful. It right. reduces all of the phases of the game to like nothingness. It, 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 the fact that I get to like, A, make it so you have to do stuff on your turn, right? Now, and I get to do stuff on your turn. So we're doing stuff on your turn. But also, half the time, or a third of the time, uh, but at least the first time you do anything, I get the option to undo that. And draw a card. (laughs) And even if you did something last turn, I get the option to undo it and draw a card. (laughs) Is like, is pretty brutal. I like, yeah, I, I. Costing three. It costing three. If if it had cost four and come down with five loyalty and, and the same minus that it just cost four mana, that would have been fine. It would have been still good, but nowhere near as good. It would have been a fine card. The fact that it costs three just makes it so aggressive. Yeah. And you gave it a 20. This was your number one card. This was my this number is, one. Uh, this is your pick for number for, one. For, for thinking about it for a little while, just, it was just better than the other options. But the other options are pretty damn powerful. Where would you, where'd you put it? Uh, I put it at 17. So it was, it was my number three. Uh, and then Michael uh, put it at 15. So it was top five. Um, interesting enough, Michael ranked... Five mana Teferi higher than Teferi Time Raveler. Um, and, um, but I do think, I do think, yeah, th- and this is kind of when we were talking about Teferi. I, one of the reasons I think it's dropped down is just this card has supplanted it, right? Like, if you're going to play yeah. a blue white planeswalker, play the three drop that walks your opponent out of the game and is an answer to things versus the three drop bunny ears that. Um, draws you car like consistently draws you more cards, but like kind of gives your opponent a little bit more of a window to do stuff. And and I mean, I think five minutes of fairy, five minutes of fairy kind of wins the game. That's kind of a win condition. Sure. Whereas three minutes of fairy is kind of like 
stop gap until you draw your win condition. Right. But I mean, also if you play time, you know, three mana to fairy rather than a five mana planeswalker, you probably just want to play a four mana planeswalker, which incidentally is our number two and Jace the Mind Sculptor. Uh, classically referred to as the best planeswalker ever printed. It's kind of shocking to see it at number two here. How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> not that far. It's still number two. <laughs> it has fallen. Considering <laughs> uh, this was considered number one and Elspeth was three at one point, now this is two and Elspeth didn't make the list. That's the mighty hit fall. I'm, I'm very proud of who, <laughs> who's ended up on top. So for those who don't know, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Blue, blue, two for a planeswalker that comes down with three loyalty and has four abilities. The it's, first ability is plus two. Look at the top card of target opponent's library. Is it target player's library? Look at the top card of target player's library. You may put that card on the bottom of that player's library. You may zero to draw three cards, then put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order. You may minus one to return target creature to its owner's hand. And you may minus 12 to exile all cards from target player's library. Then that player shuffles his or her hand into his or her library. Three loyalty at one point. And for most of Magic, the best Planeswalker ever printed... Uh, banned in modern at the onset and only recently unbanned, I think three years ago, two years ago, um, two, two years ago, uh, famously banned out of standard, uh, one of four times that has ever happened. Well, up to its point, it was, I think the third major time, uh, since type two existed that a card was banned, um, out of it, including Urza's, the Urza block and then, uh, Mirrodin block. Now it's happened more often because they've changed the requirements for bannings in standard. Um, this card's really good. Being able to prevent your opponent from ever getting a card they want ever again, just and then eventually winning as a worst-case scenario, and then brainstorming every turn and doing the Teferi thing where you can return any threat they put into play. Just, can I ask yeah. a question really quickly? So classically, back in, in Standard, this was played with Squadron Hawk um, in Cobbler. Mm-hmm. The idea being, obviously, that you would get your Squadron Hawks, and that would give you the cards in your hand to then activate your Brainstorm have lots of options to shuffle things away if you want, and then you could just win with the Squadron Hawks with a sword on them if you wanted to, but it was like the extra card advantage of the Squadron Hawks. Why is Life from the Loam and Jace not a thing that people have done in Modern? It feels like similar, you fill your hand with things that you then get to put back into your deck. Am I missing something? No, I don't know. That's awesome. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could also Loam... Get three lands, brainstorm, dredging loam, and yeah, no, I don't know. That sounds sick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think mm, I got. I don't have a good answer. I don't. I don't know why people don't do that. You could also seems have like, it, uh, like, seems like you and I are going to be building that one on Moto. Like just four, uh, four Uros, four loam, four Jace, Eula's influence. Go. <laughs> lore scale codals in there to protect Jace. Yeah, well, and that's, I think, one of, like, in the snow decks, uh, one of the reasons they're not playing Cobblade is because they're playing, um, the, 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 Los, Los Kodal, right? That's the fly. Oh, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, Ice Fang Kodal. Ice Fang, yeah, yeah. Ice, Ice Fang Kodal, um, which is the blue green 1 1 draw card. It has Death Touch if you have snow happening. Um, cause that's just do- doing what Cobblade was doing, but slightly better. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just, and and I think there was a moment where Jace wasn't as good as people thought he was going to be, and then I think he's just he's come back. He's 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 extremely powerful. Has been a player in the format basically since he's been unprinted. Uh, it's interesting. It, costed. I mean, he's correctly costed for what he is. He's a really really well designed card. Always Jace. Like, oh, you don't think so? Uh, I think he was a mistake. I mean, 
I, like anytime a card has to be banned on standard, probably not correct, right? And I think, I think it's plus two should have just been scry one. Uh, or, or like I think fate seal is like, if I were to pick one thing on this card to change to make it less problematic, it would be that. Um, maybe yeah. also make it so his ultimate is less of a you automatically win, right? Like, this is what this reads, right? It removes their library from the game, and they have whatever cards they had in hand to to win. And sure. that's very unlikely. I don't think I've ever... I've seen maybe one person win with a Jace ultimate happening to them, and normally there's an Emrakul involved. <laughs> I don't think I've ever... I don't think I've ever seen one. Have you ever opened a Jace? Yeah, I opened Jace in my, my World Link box. I opened Jace and Stoneforge Mystic and a few of the lands. I've like played the Jace lottery at one point and just opened one back in the day. Like just I bought a single pack of World Wake. Oh, dope. Uh, like from All Star where you and I first met playing mm-hmm. cards. I like a pack of World Wake and there was a Jace in it. Mm-hmm. I was so stoked. <laughs> uh you gave this a seventeen, so this was in your third place. So your your top was Teferi, Ren and Six, our next card, then Jace. So you had it in fourth place. Uh okay. I had it in third place at eighteen. Michael had it in second place at 19. Um, and now, our number one planeswalker in modern, <laughs> both historically and currently, Liliana the Veil. With 55 points altogether, you ranked it at uh, 18, Michael ranked it at 17, I gave it that big 20. On top, as always, Liliana doing... The thing I feel like Liliana would want to do, which is be the best, uh, lazily. I have a couple <laughs> reasons that I'm pretty sure this is this has become the clear number one planeswalker. She comes down at three, uh, as a, a three loyalty for three mana, plus one. Each opponent, each player discards a card. Minus two, target opponent or target player sacrifices a creature. Uh, minus six, uh, and you separate your opponent's permanents into two piles. They choose one and. That's the and the rest gets sacrificed. So I think that when modern was created, um, you know, Liliana hadn't been around very long. Liliana was like in in her first year, I think she might have been in year two. But the the lean, the heavy lean, magic has really bought into over the last nine years of making sure to utilize the graveyard as a resource in the cards that they print and the sets that they print. They've gone back to flashback style mechanics so many times. Aftermath, really escape. Over the, yeah, they've yeah. they really made it clear that's something that they were they're in on. They enjoy it. Players really enjoy it. And so because of that, having a planeswalker that can come down, that can get around targeting, right? That, so a diabolical can make your opponent kill a creature, sacrifice their best thing, that can plus to strip your opponent's hand at a pretty decent loyalty. I mean, like a, a pretty good loyalty to plus to be at four, and probably discard something that you don't care about, or honestly, in a lot of cases, something you want in your graveyard. It's just, it's perfectly costed at three mana. It's correct. It utilizes just a lot of the things that Wizards has leaned into with magic since the printing of the card. It feels like it's every year that feels like this card gets better, to be honest, not worse. I, I think part of it too is just like, it's consistently just been on the top, right? Like one of the reasons it's up here is like, there has not been a moment in modern history where Liliana was not in contention for the best planeswalker in the format. Even with Jason banned, it like Junda has seen play pretty thoroughly. I mean, Bloodbraid Elf obviously was a was a part of that, but like it just it comes down on three. 
It controls the game. It makes it so your opponent has to play on your level. You you can you get to choose the the different versions of it. You get to choose what you discard, um, when you discard. Uh, it eventually gets to the point where you put your opponent so far back of resources if you ultimate that it's almost impossible for them to win the game. And she just does such a good job at that and, and, and locking away the game and controlling the game once you have one in play and protects herself. Um, as you said, like just her interaction with graveyards is really important. The fact that even, you know, the fact that she grows a Tarmogoyf, right? If she's in the graveyard, the fact that she, uh, is kind of the best possible follow up to a Tarmogoyf of, or another threat on turn two where you play a two drop that can protect her and then you grow the Tarmogoyf by discarding something else. You know, you, you make the graveyard bigger. It's, she just does so many different things. Her, her ability with lingering souls, her abilities with Uro, um, Life yeah, from the Life from the Loam. Um, yeah, and she's just a very powerful effect at three mana that, like, just has been, like, so consistent throughout the history of the format. You're draining your opponent's resources, and with whatever resources they have left, they throw everything they've got at Liliana, which, even if they get rid of her, in the end, usually you're going to be up two or three or four for one by the end of it. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's just incredibly powerful. So, where do you think... Uh, Oko would have ended up if Oko had still been legal. Clear number one, yeah. even after just such a short time, just so good. Yeah, I think I think it's just the best. It would be the best. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons. Like the fact that it was banned out of modern. Like Jace was unbanned and then was fine, but like Oko, I don't think I don't. I, I think it's just the best Planeswalker ever printed in every format. Maybe yeah. maybe Jace is better than Oko in Legacy. Maybe Renin Six is better than Oakland Legacy. Like those are the only. That's the only it's format. Kind of, yeah. Well, because like like Renin Six with Wasteland, right? Like that's was such an insane thing to be doing in Legacy. That I think is better than Oko, right? That combo. I think that Jace's longevity and its ability with Miracle cards and Force what it did will, and so. Force of Will. But I mean, Oko does stuff with Force of Will too. But Jace yeah. also like Legacy interacts less on the level of I have a creature in play where Oko is good and more in the world of like stuff that's in your hand where Jace is good. Um, but that's it. I think Oko is modern, though, yeah. pound it's for pretty, pound better. I think it's pretty clearly the number one. So I'm glad it's not legal anymore because I don't like it as much as these cards. Makes so, magic miserable. <laughs> um, so that's going to, that's going to wrap up our top 20 list here of the best planeswalkers in modern history. Thanks to everybody for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to follow along with all the stuff we're doing. Hit that subscribe button below. If you've not yet hit it, hit subscribe. Hit the notification bell so that when we go live, you guys get notified. You guys can find me everywhere at Ben Bateman Media and a brand new place, Twitch. You can find me at Ben Bateman Streaming. Uh, I'm at Kes Wiley at uh, twitch.tv slash Kesco to find me there. Also, we have a Discord. We interact on there. Uh, a lot of the different uh, kind of community building we do is on our Discord. Make sure to check that out. And then also, uh, please comment with what, you know, our, our top... 10 was pretty contentious, right? Me, Michael, and and Ben didn't really have a good definitive pick for what should be the best. So um, we'd love to hear what you guys think and what your top 10 Planeswalkers would be. Please comment below, um, and we'll we'll talk to you guys uh, at the Hot Take. That'll be coming out. Yes. Uh, we'll be talking about specifically Elsbeth. Um, so a little preview for that uh, comes out next uh, next Tuesday and Monday early for Patreon members. 
and go check out Alex's first appearance on Tellurian Community College. Yes, yes. We'll be recording a few videos. There'll be a few more coming out, but the first one is how to pick a deck for modern. Alex gives a whole interview about it. It's really, really awesome. It's a huge thank you to Professor for bringing us out there and filming with us. We had such a great time with him, and the interview really turned out well. Yeah, and stay tuned for more content. Uh, there's some um, some extra stuff for me and Ben on Tellurian Community. So yeah. we're really hyped. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys.